Welcome to today's show. This is Christopher Calandra, your host of the Simply Financial Podcast. This is episode number 16 of season number four. Today's investor update is going to have a couple of different parts. Uh, The agenda is to do an investor update, talk about some planning ideas and strategies, and time allows, and I believe it will, we'll do some question and answer at the end. Uh, I want to make sure I get through the material for everyone, so we'll just do the questions at the end, again, assuming time allows, which I'm pretty sure that we can do. So first off, uh, we came across this quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson, the first wealth is health, and given this unprecedented uh, period this country is, the world is in, uh, it's uh, it's an important quote. Money is important, and we're going to talk about the markets and money here uh, today, including some tax strategy. But uh, we always know that health is the most important thing, and this episode, this pandemic, only reinforces what we already knew and maybe sometimes overlook or even forget. Uh, but I thought that that was kind of an appropriate way to start the presentation. Additionally, I want to reinforce that I'm a certified financial planner. We're a wealth management financial planning firm, and so we focus on five key areas of financial planning, preservation planning, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning, and investment planning. And today's presentation is going to focus more on the equity markets and the overall economy, but as a comprehensive wealth management firm, we try to always consider the impact of any recommendation, not just in one area, but in all of these areas for our clients. And uh, many people that are attending today, and there's a, a pleasantly a large number of people in attendance, um, some of you are clients, some of you are not. But uh, keep in mind, when we're working with a plan for you, we want to take into account these areas of financial planning. It's not just about investments. It's also about the other four that are on the list. And we're always cognizant of that in our work with clients and all of the planning we do. So let's begin the equity market review. 2019 was a healthy year for investors. It was a great year. The U.S. economy continued its winning streak. Uh, We were in the 10th year of the bull market that began after the Great Recession that lasted from 2008 into early 2009. And one of the things that I spoke about, this will come up again in a few slides, a lot in 2019, even going back into 2018, and it was talked about a lot before this pandemic in 2020, is that the U.S. economy was strong. And one of the things that was bolstering the U.S. economy was a very good unemployment picture. And so 2019 was a very good year. There was optimism in the early stages of 2020 as it appeared that the U.S. economy was accelerating and unemployment continued to be very low and jobs numbers very strong, and things changed, as we all know, dramatically. And so 
the equity markets reacted to the pandemic and all of the economic damage that was being done. So in mid-February, the markets made new all-time highs and then changed. Uh, this silent but deadly virus quickly decimated an 11-year bull market. It was amazing and is amazing how quickly everything turned seemingly on a dime. Uh, so after the strong year in 2019, in less than three weeks, the S&P 500 fell from a 52-week high to a 52-week low. This quick waterfall of the equity markets has set many records. We've had an unbelievable amount of volatility. Most days for several weeks now have seen plus or minus 1% moves very consistently. That is very abnormal. Looking at the market over a very long period of time, you typically do not see such volatility. But we're going to use the term unprecedented a lot. Uh, in this discussion and probably when you discuss things with your family, friends, coworkers, the word unprecedented comes up a lot. We are certainly in unprecedented times. So this unexpected period, it seems like the economic outlook is evolving daily and that's leading to a lot of the volatility. Uh, there's so much going on, there's so much fluidity not just with the pandemic and the healthcare crisis, but also what's happening in the economy. So let's talk a little bit about knowledge being power. We believe here at Elliott Wealth Management, uh, I believe this, the whole team believes that an educated client is our best client. When we meet with our clients, and hopefully if you're a client and you're listening, uh, you can attest to this. Uh, we want to educate our clients. Our clients do not want to become experts like we are. They don't necessarily want to be immersed in tax planning and retirement planning and the history of the markets. Uh, but being educated is a very powerful way to help make good decisions. So let's examine some of the data I want to share with you this morning. I mentioned this before. We were in an 11-year bull market. Uh, that began in the early days of President Obama's administration way back in 2009 and that bull market was uninterrupted for 11 years. As we entered into 2020 it looked like the bull market was intact as I mentioned before and I'll probably mention again the US economy was actually accelerating not decelerating and we were creating jobs every month and we had done so for over 10 years and what I had said repeatedly to clients uh, was that if the US economy is growing and even better if it's accelerating and the economy continues to create jobs uh, the bull market is likely to continue it would have been hard for me to envision us getting to a recession or into a bear market or a sustained sell-off in the market in the face of so much job creation and such a strong economy. A bear market, by the way, is defined when the market falls at least 20% or more from its 52-week high. So we had a bear market. One of the questions is, did we already give birth to a new bull market? Uh, because the bear market fell 20%. We had the market fall more than 20%. 
We've seen it rebound and come back some, has not gone back to where it was at the beginning of the year or the February highs, but it has rallied here the last couple of weeks. And one of the key questions is, did we already give birth to the next bull market or are we still in a bear market and we had a rally within a more prevalent bear market? That's a key question that will be answered over the coming weeks and months. Since entering the bear market as of early April, we've had this bounce back in equity markets. So that is the good news and there are encouraging signs. However, there's lots of change going on and a lot of uncertainty in the economy, in the markets, and in healthcare where we're still trying to deal with the pandemic. So the next thing I wanted to talk a little bit about is some definitions related to bear markets. There's three, uh, there's three types of bear markets. They're structural, cyclical, and event-driven. Structural bear markets are those created by imbalances and financial bubbles. They're very often followed by a price shock such as deflation. This is what happened in the Great Depression in 1929. It, it was also a structural bear market in 2008 when the U.S. financial system was in deep, deep trouble. A cyclical bear market are ones that are typically a function of the economic cycle, uh, often marked by rising interest rates, impending recessions, and falls in corporate profits. And then the third type is event-driven bear markets. And these bear markets are created by events such as war, perhaps an oil price shock, an emerging markets crisis, things like that we are in an event-driven bear market which arrived on the scene due to the sudden viral pandemic coronavirus or COVID-19 you could use the term that you prefer event-driven bear markets they're the hardest if not the most impossible to forecast and to navigate through this is incredibly difficult stuff COVID-19 created the first of its kind bear market one that was caused wholly by the virus. Uh, the economy was doing well. Unemployment was doing well. Consumer confidence was high. Uh, U.S. companies were very competitive as they competed for business, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. Uh, but now we're in this event-driven bear market, the first of its kind, unprecedented. There's that word again. One fact that I wanted to bring to your attention is that interest rates have gone down to virtually zero. So the quick history on that is the federal funds rate controlled by the Federal Reserve um, was cut by a half a point or 50 basis points bringing it down to a range of one to one and a quarter early on in the crisis. But then as a response to the increasing risks of the coronavirus and as the outbreak was accelerating the Federal Reserve took an enormous step and cut its benchmark interest rate by a full 1%, bringing the range down to zero to 0.25% or one quarter of 1%, so virtually zero. 
when the Fed first started reducing interest rates, uh, the consensus was most experts thought that the central bank was catching up to where the markets were headed. Now, where we sit today, it seems that the Federal Reserve is responding to both the economy and also the fact that the 10-year Treasury, which is an important benchmark, had fallen to all-time lows. The Treasury rate on the 10-year is around 55 basis points now or a little over one-half of 1%. One That's incredibly low. I mean, it's hard to fathom that this is where 10-year Treasury rates are. Uh, rates have been low for a long time. Uh, the trend originally started back in the early 1980s, in the early days of President Reagan's administration. But that trend accelerated after 9-11 as the Federal Reserve cut interest rates to help the economy after the attacks. And after 2008, again, the Federal Reserve aggressively cut interest rates. They then increased them a bit in the interim, only to return to cutting, and now aggressively cutting once again, bringing them close to zero. Uh, the only other time they were this low was briefly during the financial crisis in 2008. I also want to talk just a little bit about oil prices. They've been in the news quite a bit. But with all that's going on with healthcare, with the closure of businesses and stay-at-home orders throughout the United States, as if things were not bad enough, we have an oil price war between Saudi Arabia and Russia. Now, typically, this would have commanded a lot of headlines and a lot of discussion, but it's been overlooked because of all the other problems and chaos that we are dealing with. But uh, this price war between Saudi and Arabia emerged around March 7th, and it decimated the energy industry. Oil prices, energy prices were already on the decline because with the U.S. economy and many worldwide economies um, shut down or slowing their economic output, demand for oil was already on decline. Then you had this price war, and oil dropped off significantly. Oil prices saw the worst month and worst quarter in history, and that was through March 31st. What we've seen so far in April is another leg down as there is too much oil sloshing around relative to demand and expected demand given the impending recession and economic slowdown. And so the energy sector is in uh, dire straits. I saw the news this morning. This is, like many of these discussion points, very fluid. Oil rebounded some yesterday. It looks like it's rebounding today. So we're in a constant state of change. Uh, but this is really, really dramatic stuff. And if you look at the long-term charts of oil, it's amazing that oil prices have gotten as low as they have. Anecdotally, yesterday, my daughter, and let me just say that we're observing social distancing, we're hunkered down at home, uh, but did, she did need gas for her car, and she went out and got gas in Connecticut, and it was $1.15 a gallon, which is remarkably low. I mean, it's mind-blowing. You think about the last time you saw gas that low, so that kind of puts into perspective uh, 
the massive change we're seeing in the oil market. And this makes sense. I've seen different uh, estimates, but one is that we're using 10 to 25 billion, no, excuse me, 10 to 25 million less barrels of oil per day in the U.S. and gas is uh, down over 25%. I mentioned unemployment earlier on in the presentation and this has been a key thing for me for a while because the U.S. economy was strong and it was bolstered by a terrific employment picture in the U.S. where the U.S. was a powerhouse in creating jobs month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year and that link between the good economy and the unemployment gave me tremendous confidence and it's why I was confident going into 2020 after a strong 2019 but that linkage has completely broken down because US unemployment rates now are very worrisome on February 7th unemployment was at three and a half percent and as I said it had been uh, low and trending lower consistently for 10 years and we've been creating jobs month after month for over 10 years. Well, that came to a screeching halt just like the economy did. For the week ending April 11th, uh, there were 5.2 million new jobless claims. From March 15th to April 11th, we had 22 million new jobless claims. We're expecting new jobless claims this morning. They may even come out um, during this presentation. The expectation is for another 4 million. It wouldn't surprise me if we go over 5 million. Uh, but during this episode, we've had 5 million and then two other 6 plus million weeks of jobless claims. Just unbelievably bad numbers. To give you a little bit of historical perspective, before this episode, the worst weekly jobless claims in US history was all the way back in 1982 when it was 695,000 and that record of 695,000 was surpassed by 6.8 million I just blew the record away granted you have to adjust for population because the country was much smaller population wise in 1982 but still a startling statistic um, so where are we going to end up with unemployment Estimates are all over the map, but they're all bad. Assume 17.9 percent. Wouldn't surprise me if it goes over 20 percent. From a historical perspective, the worst ever was 25 percent, and that was during the Great Depression. I could see us potentially getting there, although it's pretty unlikely. But over 20 percent seems reasonable. 15 to 20 percent, at least for a while, seems more than likely. And then the question will become how stubborn is that unemployment because uh, when Americans are unemployed, that's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for the rest of us. So we want this unemployment to have a short-lived trajectory upward and then to recover. But it's unclear how and when that will happen and how much damage this unemployment creates up and down the economy because this is putting pressure on state budgets that are paying out unemployment claims uh, people that don't have jobs are not going to spend and even when they go back to work they may not be that anxious to spend and they may, may behave differently in the aftermath of the job and income interruption uh, it's, a, it's a it's a it's a significant issue and it's unclear 
how quickly we could get that number going in the right direction. Hopefully it'll be soon, uh, but it's a big problem. The U.S. government has responded, of course, and this has been in the media quite a bit, and we're going to talk about the media in a few slides, but the U.S. government is responding by trying to prevent the threat of a recession to help businesses. Now, I think we're going to end up in a recession. Uh, I, I think that it will be too difficult, given the shutdown and the economic damage, to avoid a recession. Uh, but the government has passed several bills, including the $2.2 trillion CARES Act, uh, that stands for Coronas Aid, Relief, and Economic Security. Uh, it did a number of things uh, to try and help the country. Taxpayers, adults, depending on income thresholds, are getting $1,200 per adult. Children, $500 per child. There was relief for small businesses, a program called PPP, the Payroll Protection Program that provide lending facility to small businesses. Uh, there was a whole bunch of other stuff in this $2.2 trillion CARES Act. It, by the way, is the largest stimulus ever in the United States by a very wide margin. I'll also add that the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, is also acting very aggressively, providing liquidity into the markets trying to support the credit markets or the lending markets, making sure banks are healthy. They've done a whole bunch of stuff that's kind of behind the scenes to support these different uh, lending and credit markets. They're what's called expanding the balance sheet. And in oversimplified terms, they're basically providing liquidity. Now, where are they getting the money from? They're just making it up. Um, but that liquidity is helping the market and has been a contributor to some of the worst fears from three, four, five weeks ago not being realized because the financial system, although it's strained and it's struggling and there's lots of uncertainty, it's working. And I believe some of that at least is in part to the tremendous liquidity that the Federal Reserve is bringing to the markets. Now, all of this liquidity, it's worth noting, will have consequences down the line. I mean, the amount of liquidity that the Federal Reserve is pumping into the system uh, dwarfs what liquidity was put into the system back in 2008. I mean, by a factor of, I don't know what it is, 3, 5, 10, but it dwarfs what the Federal Reserve had done before with liquidity. And putting that much liquidity in the system might be what the situation calls for today, but it will need to be dealt with some point down the line, otherwise we may be confronted with a whole different set of problems that the country and the economy needs to contend with. But that's for another day. In addition to the CARES Act, uh, there's been some follow-on legislation, including this week, where, for example, they passed a law to put even more money in that PPP program because it had run out of money. I wanted to point out that our clients, my personal portfolio, uh, has gotten beaten up some. Uh, it's been a tough period. But I wanted to point out for context, Warren Buffett, who is considered one of the greatest, if not the greatest investor of all time, and he's a household name. An analysis was done of his top stock holdings, and 
He was down 37% from the February highs as of a few weeks ago. Now, that's dated a little bit, uh, but he's gotten beaten up. And it is just evidence that all of us are struggling in terms of the investments getting beaten up. And then some others are also dealing with declining incomes, job loss, concerns about their health, especially if they're in the health industry, they're going into hospitals and healthcare facilities at a greater risk than the general population. Um, but it is a difficult time. One final note about this slide is one of my favorite quotes, and Warren Buffett is very quotable, is the stock market is a device for transferring money from the impatient to the patient. And this is one of those adages where it's always true. But I think it's particularly important today when you have so much uncertainty, so much change, and so much stress about the situation given the healthcare overlay and the pandemic and the shutdown, you know, stuff that we just have never seen and couldn't even comprehend as a possibility just a few short weeks and months ago. So what I want to share with you now is some ideas and strategies. To begin with, though, we think that being prepared and not scared is a worthwhile approach. That's how we're going to approach the rest of 2020 in our dealings with our clients as well as new clients we're likely to bring uh, into the fold uh, this year. Times are scary, and I think some of the some of the fright has, has subsided a little bit as it seems like we have a better handle on the coronavirus than we did a few weeks ago, but we're not out of the woods yet. There's still a lot to play out, uh, but in terms of wealth planning, financial planning, investment planning, all of the things that we work very hard to uh, do for our clients, we're going to be prepared and not scared. How we should move forward this year is a key question. Uh, not just this year, but even in subsequent years, because the aftermath of this is going to uh, be in play for a very long time. One of our responsibilities is to look at all the situations and to guide our clients with ideas, and we need to do this even in a treacherous market and a treacherous economy like we're in now. So I just wanted to quickly review some of uh, our thoughts. First off, we want to continue to focus on long-term results. Typically, the most successful investors think and act for the long-term. And I want to add that I'm bullish over the long-term. I'm optimistic about this country and its prospects for success in the future. Uh, the economy will recover. The markets will recover. Investor losses, especially if they have a, a, a well-designed strategy, will recover losses and get back to profits. It may take a little bit, may not be next month, may not be later this year, may take a little bit, who knows, but there will be recovery. U.S. businesses are smart, well-led, comprised of hard-working, diligent Americans. They will reimagine themselves. Uh, they'll work hard. We will recover, so I'm bullish in the long term. And so that is a good focus. In the short term, though, I am somewhat cautious and concerned about all of this change, all of the destruction in the economy, uh, how this health care situation is going to get resolved. There's tremendous uncertainty about 
vaccine, therapeutics that will create antibodies, social distancing, how quickly states and locales are going to open up. And clearly that will be staggered with certain states, cities, and locales opening faster than others. Uh, but there's so much uncertainty. So even though I'm going to focus on the long term and I'm going to encourage clients to focus on the long term, we do need to be aware of the short-term risks and uncertainties as we plan because I believe that this episode is going to last a while. And as great as America is and American people are, we can be impatient. Sometimes it's sort of like, all right, we have a problem, let's sit down, solve the problem, and then let's go to lunch and celebrate. I think in this instance, um, this is going to last a while. The uncertainty, uh, the economic strain, the government trying to react, the healthcare system trying to deal with uh, this virus, it's going to take a little while. So short term, I have some significant concerns, although long term, I am very optimistic that the country, the economy, the markets, and our clients were going to be fine. Uh, one approach to unemotional investing, especially in a volatile market, and this is true generally, but it's especially true in a very volatile market like we have now with tremendous amounts of uncertainty, which we certainly do. Uh, dollar cost averaging is a systematic method of buying into the market at a set amount or a set percentage at set periods of time to take advantage of market swings. So it's simply incrementally buying into the market over a stretch of time. And so when the market is weak, you'll buy more with the money that you're putting to work. And when the market is strong, you'll, put, um, you'll buy less of the investments because the prices are higher. It's, a, again, a nice, unemotional, systematic approach to investing. I think, we think here at Elliott Wealth Management that in lots of situations, that is going to be a worthwhile way to work our way out of this mess is using dollar cost averaging where it makes sense. One thing I didn't say at the beginning of this presentation that bears note, note is that this presentation is meant to be big picture. Uh, I see there's lots and lots of people uh, that have joined the webinar and again thank you for that uh, but I'm not in a position today to give individual advice because we have uh, some people that are young we have older individuals some of who are retired we have some people that have more wealth than others and so every situation is different um, the purpose of this discussion is to be kind of broad and conceptual uh, later in the presentation I have my phone number and email if you're not a client please reach out and we could talk about your situation and how we might help. Similarly, if you're a client and uh, there are aspects of this you want to discuss, please, please, please reach out to us. Email us, call us. Uh, we are here to help. We're fully available uh, to be a resource for you as we always try and be. So that's dollar cost averaging. No one likes losses but from a tax standpoint they can be helpful and this year where we had this big sell-off um, there are some tax swap strategies that we want to utilize for clients so a tax swap is a strategy that involves selling an investment that has losses and then replacing it with a similar 
but not identical investment. There's some specific IRS rules on this front. Uh, but sell something at a loss and replacing it with something else. The tax loss can then be used to offset gains. So if you have a loss from one investment that's sold and you have a gain in another investment that is sold, um, they can offset and we could work to mitigate and manage tax liability. What's particularly attractive is that tax losses can be banked to offset future gains. It's something called carry forward losses. So if you have losses but you don't have gains that can be used to offset them, it's not a use it or lose it situation. They can be banked and they could be carried forward into future years so that you could use the tax loss in 2021 or 2022 uh, that you carry forward to be used to offset future gains. That's something that we want to review with our clients and whenever possible take advantage of that. Often working in concert and coordination with our clients tax professionals. Uh, now there's some rules to understand with this. There's something called the wash sale rule. So this is a strategy that depends a lot on the particular details. Um, but we're very familiar with it. We use it a lot and given the sell-off we expect that um, it'll be something that uh, we're going to be able to take advantage of quite a bit as the year unfolds. One of the aspects of the CARES Act that I didn't mention a few slides ago is that uh, the government suspended RMDs, required minimum distributions for 2020. So if you otherwise are required to take money out of IRAs, 401ks, and retirement accounts, they've been suspended for 2020. You're under no obligation to take the money out. You can if you want to, and it'll be taxable, um, but you can leave the money in the retirement account if you prefer. This is not something that you'll have to do next year. This is something that's wiped away. You simply don't have to do it for 2020. Likely you'll have to go back to the normal rules in 2021, but some investors may not want to take the money out of the retirement account. A lot of our clients only take their required minimum distributions because they're required. Left to their own devices, they would not take money out of the retirement account. So if you're comfortable with suspending distributions and looking for a better time to take them, like perhaps next year, um, you should take advantage of the suspension of the RMDs. If you are listening to this and you've already taken your RMD, um, there are ways to put it back in and undo the distribution that might have taken place in the early part of 2020. Um, if you're in that situation, let us know. We can help. Roth conversions. Uh, so traditional retirement accounts are pre-tax. The money in there has not been taxed and it's typically going to be taxed when the money is taken out. Uh, Roth IRAs or Roth accounts, I should say, um, it's the opposite. It's after-tax money that gets put into the Roth, but then it's typically going to come out tax-free. You can convert money from traditional to Roth. And this can be complicated, but there are some really key reasons why you might want to consider Roth IRA conversions. Uh, one element of this is that in the future, tax brackets may rise. So if you're in a lower tax bracket this year, either because of where tax rates are or because your income is going to be lower this year, that lends itself 
to strongly considering doing a Roth IRA. If account values are down, which they are in many, many instances, you might want to consider converting to a Roth. Now, you will pay taxes on the conversion because when you go from traditional to Roth, you do pass through the tax toll. But if values are suppressed and you do the conversion and then they stop being suppressed and then they recover, they'll be recovering in the Roth IRA, which you will not pay taxes on during the recovery. And also you'd be able to take the money out in the future tax-free. That's pretty attractive. The third element of this I wanted to mention is that the SECURE Act was passed in late 2019, December 20th to be exact, and uh, it created a number of changes in the retirement planning landscape. But one of the things that I wanted to mention because it relates to the Roth conversion thought process is under the old rules prior to December 31st, 2019, if you're the beneficiary of an IRA, a non-spouse beneficiary of an IRA or a 401k, you had choices available to you that have now gone away. As of January 1st, 2020, if you're a non-spouse beneficiary and you inherit the money, you have to take the money out in 10 years. So we have the opportunity to do some family tax management for our clients. We had a situation where we had an, an older client, uh, I think he was in his late 80s, and he had an IRA, and he was in a low income tax bracket. And in consultation with him and his family, it came to our attention that his two children, who were the beneficiaries, were in high income tax brackets. They were high earners, and one of the two of them was actually in a very high uh, income tax state. And from the planning perspective, our recommendation was for the older individual, our client, to take money out of the IRA and either take it out or convert it to a Roth IRA because he was able to do that at a lower tax bracket than we would expect his two children to have if, in, um, if they inherited the money when he passed away, which is what we were planning for. Um, not that we're planning for his passing away, but planning for them to inherit the money that he didn't use. So that's an example, example of kind of tax arbitrage. Hopefully I made that clear. Uh, but that's one thing we want to look at for clients is can we take advantage of some tax aspects of this and do Roth conversions? Sometimes they'll make sense. Not always. Every situation is different, but we could help you with this. The new federal tax filing date is now July 15th. Uh, now I'm recording this on April 23rd, so you may already know this, but uh, you don't have to file your taxes until July 15th. That's for everyone. And there's other deadlines that have been extended to, like the deadline for IRAs have been pushed back to July 15th from April 15th. HSA, health savings account contributions, have also gotten extended to July 15th. So those are helpful things. Volatility can be scary. Uh, as we begin to wrap up, I just want to touch on this volatility is scary. Um, I said earlier that we want to be prepared, not scared. But the reality is this has been a very, very difficult environment. I know personally for me, I've been in the business. Next month will be my 28th anniversary in the financial services industry working as a financial advisor. This last six to eight weeks has been 
the worst, most difficult, most stressful period of my entire career. And I was at my desk on 9-11, that morning of attacks. I was literally at my desk, and I worked with clients in the aftermath of 9-11. I worked all through the financial crisis. Both of those were difficult times, but this is worse. I think the healthcare part of things, the shutdown, the isolation, it's made it, it's made it more difficult. On top of that, you know, we have family members that we're worried about, and it's just been an unbelievably bad situation. But I think that the prescription for us is to proceed with caution, to try and rise above the scariness, and to adjust to the volatility. I think we could proceed with caution, as I said before. I'm optimistic long term, uh, but I think caution is what the situation calls for. I am not terribly optimistic in the very short term. Uh, which brings me to my next point in terms of the media. And I rarely miss an opportunity to hammer away at the media who I think misbehaves and does a disservice to the American people on a way too consistent basis. And I think their coverage of the healthcare and the economic shutdown has only exposed in my opinion, their bad behavior. Um, panic and bad choices can cause more harm for investors than even the virus or a market downturn. And I would just remind everyone who's listening that the media's job is not to help you make smart financial decisions. It's not their job. Um, that's your job. That's our job to help you with. There are lots of resources that can help you make smart financial decisions. But the media is not a place that you typically want to turn to to help you make smart financial decisions. Their job, and I have no problem with this. I mean, they're a business, but their job, we have to recognize, is to get you to watch, to listen, to sign in, to subscribe, to um, review their website, to listen to them. That's what they're trying to create. They want to create demand for their media uh, output. And I don't think they have done investors and in general the American people a great service with their coverage during this pandemic. Now that's my personal opinion. You may disagree. Um, but I think that the media's behavior um, is less than what I would desire. I would like to see them do more education and be more helpful in getting good information, balanced information to the American people. So again, I never miss an opportunity to hammer away at the media. My team here at Elliott Wealth will attest to that. So just a quick review of some of the key takeaways and then we could get into some uh, Q&A. Is 2019 produced strong returns for equity investors, but extreme volatility has reemerged with this unprecedented and nasty pandemic and I don't believe we're necessarily out of the woods yet um, maybe on the healthcare side maybe not but certainly uh, on the economic side there are many many things that need to play out and lots of areas for significant concern uh, your health is our first priority as I mentioned in the quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson we're not doctors we're not medical um, professionals of course but your health transcends the financial stuff. Uh, we are, though, going to focus on your personal goals. And feel free to call and email us with any concerns you have. We are here to help. We want to be a resource. 
uh, in an effort to be a resource, we want to deliver regular communication. Uh, we do the monthly mailing. Uh, there's the weekly podcasts. There's the availability for remote meetings. We can't meet you in person right now, uh, but we could do remote meetings. Uh, many of you have already done that with me previously or with Lindy previously. We want to have frequent discussions. We're going to continue as always and as intensely as possible review economic, tax, estate and investment issues for our clients. So that's what you could expect from us. Um, as I said, your health and well-being is our highest priority. We appreciate the opportunity to assist you with your financial needs. I have been so unbelievably touched over these last couple of weeks as I've spoken with clients and interacted because uh, all the time they're like, Chris, how are you doing? Uh, you okay? This must be a difficult time for you. They ask about my family. They ask about my kids. Many of my clients know that my father has been battling cancer and so he's been undergoing a very rigorous chemo regimen. And that in and of itself is scary time and, and worthy of uh, people checking in on. Uh, but it, it took on even bigger proportions with the risk of going and getting the treatment and contracting the virus because as you probably know, when you are undergoing chemo, your immune system gets compromised. And then, you know, my mom couldn't go in with my dad. So um, the point I'm making at is that it's been a difficult time for everyone. And I am so touched by the kindness that my clients, our clients have shown us as they check in with us to make sure we're doing okay. We think of ourselves as trying to help our clients, but it's amazing how we've allied ourselves with so many good people that are also looking out for us. So thank you, not only the people that are listening to this, our clients who are listening to this, but even for those that are not because um, your kindness has not gotten uh, not gone unnoticed. So I mentioned earlier, um, that's my email. If you don't have it, that's the phone number. Um, we're working all the time, including on the weekends. We're available. We're here to help. We want to be a resource. So don't hesitate. Maybe we can leave it there. And I want to, again, thank everyone for taking a few minutes out of your day this morning uh, for my investor update. I greatly appreciate the business relationships I have um, with those of you that are our clients. Uh, if you're not a client, we'd be interested in speaking with you. Um, this is a tremendously difficult time. It is unprecedented. Um, I hope you're staying healthy and safe. I also hope that you're staying positive because I know that this has uh, been a strain for people emotionally psychologically, uh, maybe isolated too much or just to worry over the health care and worries over job and money and income. So if there's anything we can do, please know that we're here. Thanks again and have a great day. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of SagePoint Financial Incorporated and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss.
Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Please note, the information being provided is strictly as a courtesy. When you link to any of the websites provided here, you are leaving this website. We make no representation as to the completeness or accuracy of the information provided at these websites, nor is the company liable for any direct or indirect technical or system issues or any consequences arising out of your access to your use of third-party technologies websites, information, and programs made available through this website. When you access one of these websites, you are leaving our website and assume total responsibility and risk for your use of the websites you are linking to. Securities and advisory services are offered through SagePoint Financial Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC, insurance services offered through Elliott Wealth Management, LLC, not affiliated with SagePoint Financial.